0: Matt Kerber, I'm a pastor at City Reformed. It's good to be with you. We want to uh, dismiss our children for Children's Church. They will be uh, going away for this period, learning more about worship for the purpose of uh, reentry. They're being trained and and prepared to understand how worship works. Uh, Something we'll be talking about today, it's something we've been talking about uh, over the last couple of weeks. We're moving through a sermon series in uh, the book of Nehemiah. And just a quick uh, reminder of the structure of Nehemiah, there are 13 chapters. The first six chapters deal with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The book of Nehemiah occurs about 450 B.C., so approximately 2,500 years ago. Uh, And uh, there are many differences as we look back on it, and yet many similarities. Uh, The people of God in Nehemiah are people that needed to be reformed and renewed. Uh, the first six chapters deal with a very physical reformation and renewal the city needed to be rebuilt It had been conquered uh, because of their rebellion the people had been taken into exile they returned and for ninety years they struggled to do the basic rebuilding but under the leadership of Nehemiah they rebuilt the walls and reestablished the city as a place of safety where humans could flourish however the next six chapters of Nehemiah cover a different type of rebuilding It's the spiritual rebuilding of God's people. It's those chapters we've been looking at recently, and it's a section of those chapters we want to look at today. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 uh, show a a cycle of, of events that occur in a set period of time. In these periods of time, the spiritual renewal of God's people is particularly relevant and particularly visible. Uh, We've been preaching on these chapters for the last couple of weeks, and what I'm intending to do today is to pause and look back over where we've come in the few weeks to see the picture of how they fit together, because I believe it's here at this vantage point that we can see more clearly the real message of the book of Nehemiah, the message about the reformation of God's people and the ongoing reformation that we need as God's people today going to read excerpts from what, where we've been. Uh, and I'll be referring to sermons. But uh, My goal is to explain what we've done. In some cases, it, it may simply spur you to go back and listen to something you've re- uh, missed. The sermons are available uh, on the internet. So I'll begin, uh, begin the reading in Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and the lord that the lord had commanded Israel so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could un- and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses, of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. Continuing in chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Continue in verse 38. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Continuing in verse 10, verse 28. Chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands... To the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we, I think, recognize in many aspects of our life our need for renewal, our need to be formed and reformed. Uh, sometimes this is very practical. Usually there are seasons of the year where we look around our house and, and see the ongoing clutter and the ongoing disorder, and we realize we need to spend a whole day reforming our house. And so a day off or a, a mini-vacation is occupied with bringing order to our physical life and and the stuff around us. It's not my favorite way to spend a day off or a vacation, uh, but it's necessary and it's helpful. The book of uh, Nehemiah began that way, a, a period of bringing to order the physical affairs. But it's in the second section, the second half, that I think we can relate at a deeper level. There was a need for spiritual renewal. If you're a Christian, you would recognize there are periods of your life where you have ups and downs and highs and lows. You may feel closer to God or closer to others. In our relationships, we need to be reformed and renewed. Just as there are periods in our our life where uh, we need to bring order to the physical reality of our life, often we see vacation as a time to reorder and reform our family. Uh, we've had opportunity to do that this summer, uh, thanks to uh, thankful, uh, gracious, uh, uh, graciousness of our church. We have opportunities to be away. And often my wife and myself notice during those times how our relationships are changed during our times together. However, over the years I've recognized that vacation is also a time for spiritual renewal, spiritual reformation. And I've found that I never truly rest and find deep renewal. ...unless I commit myself to seeking God and being reformed by Him. Again, we see these practices at work in the book of Nehemiah. One of the things that I find so interesting in this section... ...and the reason I want to pause here to look back over the last couple of chapters... ...is that there is a unity to what we've been looking at. Each week we've dealt with a section of the season of renewal, a season of reformation. And in this series of three chapters the events are all given dates in the month of the calendar I think it's a clue from the author of this book that we should be thinking of the relationship to each other I intentionally included them in the sections that I reread it so the first day of the seventh month the second day the 24th day these things are connected They're the only events given that type of a timeline in the book they're happening together there's a, a totality of the picture At the heart of the book of Nehemiah, the people of God being spiritually renewed. It's not just the city that is formed and reformed, but it is the people who are reformed. Now, you may recognize when I use the word reform and reformation that it is a, a weighty word in our context. Even if you've only visited our church once or twice, you'd notice that the very name of our church is City Reformed Presbyterian Church. In other words, we've seen so much value in the word reform or reformation that we've included in the very name of who we are. One of the first things people would know about us is, is our identity and alignment with the word reformed. Now, that word means many things. It, it refers to a, a branch of theology that came out of the Protestant Reformation. But more broadly, it refers to our commitment that we are a people who must continually be shaped by God's word. We must be continually reformed. One of the uh, sayings that eventually came out of the Reformation is that the church, the Reformed church, must continually be reformed according to the word of God. And now this, this practice of renewal is not one is just one and done, but an ongoing reality. Today, as we look at the passage, I want to do two things. First of all, just rehearse this cycle of reformation in Nehemiah and secondly we'll look at how that cycle is meant to shape us daily, weekly and and generationally. So first of all the cycle of reformation is we look at all of these chapters, these three chapters together and then our own lives daily, weekly and generationally. We are in need of ongoing reformation if we're going to be healthy spiritually. So as we look at this, we, uh, we see five things in, in Nehemiah, just five points across these three chapters. Each of them have been discussed in more detail, so I'll move fairly quickly and in some cases refer to things that we have talked about um, already. The first thing that we see when we look at this um, is we see uh, the, the, the beginning of Reformation is hearing God speak through his word. This is something that all commentators and scholars have noted when they look back at this section of Nehemiah. They recognize the significance of hearing God's word. Now, what is happening in particular as they gather? We look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. All the people gather as one man in the square before the water gate. You notice they gather on the first day of the month. And then, verse 3, Ezra the priest reads from the book of the law of Moses from early morning to... midday. It was a, a really long Bible reading. When it says the book of the law of Moses, it refers most broadly to the first five books of the Bible, maybe more specifically to the book of Deuteronomy. But they were reading what God had revealed through his prophets about how they should live, particularly through the prophet Moses. This was the Bible reading for their time. They would have had these books. They would have had some of the prophets And through them, God revealed himself. Christianity is a religion that at its deepest level is committed to the belief that God has revealed himself to us. He revealed himself through prophets and apostles, and then most fully through his son, Jesus Christ. But he caused that revelation to be written down. Jesus directed the apostles who followed after him to write down the record of who he was, of what he had done, and how he wants us to live. So he instructed his apostles to teach all that he commanded to the church that followed them. Historic Christianity teaches that our spirituality is meant to conform to outside revelation, the revelation that God gives through the written word. This is starting place for all spiritual renewal. And in this chapter, when it really, really kicked in, it brought an immediate response. The second thing we see as we look at this spiritual renewal is the people recognize the gap between their life and what God had revealed about himself. And we see this most clearly in their, in their visible response. In uh, verse 9 of chapter 8, it says the people wept as they heard the law of God. What was happening here? Well, they heard God speaking to them about who he was. If you were to read the first five books of the Bible, it would be a revelation of God's holy character and a calling of his people to live and to conform their lives to him. As they heard this read to them, they saw the gap. They saw that their life didn't measure up. They were actually in rebellion against God, the living God of the universe who had made them and created them and called them. And their response was one of grief. This is a response that, Uh, is uh, characteristic of all people who are being reformed and being renewed. Now, when we look at it from the outside, we may say that's not a a particularly pleasant response. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, Boy, I'd like to, to, to go to church and feel bad today. We usually want to feel good. But what we learn here is something that we can see in other parts of our life, that if we really want to have renewal, sometimes the steps towards it can be hard. It's one of the reasons we don't get renewal in our life, whether it's in our, our physical life and our, our emotional relationships or in our spiritual relationships. We can be satisfied with a, a base level and we don't want to uh, disturb it or feel any pain. This past year we, we saw a visible example of this as we brought Reformation to a physical building. Uh, about uh, eight, nine, ten, maybe more months ago our church bought a building, a smaller building outside of Oakland and we reformed it over the course of the year it looks a lot nicer now but along the way it was messy it was sometimes painful those of you who were there for the early work days remembered it as we tore down the plaster and the old lath so that we could put in insulation and we could restore the walls that had been damaged it was messy some of you who stayed to the bitter end of our first day would remember Ted Adair Covered from head to foot in soot. All you could see was a little section of his eyes peeking out from behind the coal soot that had been in the walls of that building for generations. It was a messy process. Sometimes a painful process. You know this in your personal relationships, don't you? You have those relationships in your life and you've just settled into them for a while. You know it's not good, it's not right, but you'll just settle for the status quo because Bringing it up gets hard, gets messy and painful before anything can be resolved. And so we settle for the status quo. But reformation means we encounter what God really says and who he is. And we see who we are and it is our first step to renewal, painful as it may be. The interesting thing about the passage is that Nehemiah and Ezra don't leave them in that place for very long. I'm honestly not sure how much to draw from this. Part of it is just the uh, maybe the historic details of what was happening. But the third thing we see is a very quick move to celebration and rejoicing. We look forward and we see in verses 9 and 10, we hear the people weeping and mourning because they are aware of their shortcomings. But Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites, chapter 9, said to all the people, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 9, verse 10, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to the Lord. This day is a day of celebration, they say. What they move to in the second day is a celebration of a biblical festival. It was the feast of booths. Something laid out in the book of the early books of the Bible. If you were reading through the first five books, you would have come across it and say, Hey, this tells us in the seventh month. We should have a festival like this. In this festival, what they would do? They would celebrate God's gracious work in their life. They would bring in uh, uh, palm branches and other types of branches, make little lean-to shelters, and live in them. In so doing, remember when we were in the wilderness for forty years, living in tents, God cared for us. This is a practice the Jewish community does till this day. If you drive through. Uh, squirrel hill at certain times of the year you'll see the booths that are put up as a celebration it was a celebration of god's gracious power to save he had saved them and sustained them it's curious to me that in this section of renewal and reformation nehemiah and, and ezra move them so quickly to this point I don't know all the reasons, but what clearly emerges as we read this section in context is that the thing they really need to know, having read God's law, having seen their fallenness and their shortcomings, what they really need when they know their sin is a reminder of God's saving power and grace. That's what happens. It's going to be a celebration. It says literally, you know, eat... Eat the the fat food and drink the wine and share it with people around you. Send the portions to those that need it. It's going to be a celebration because our God saves. Perhaps they did this. Again, I'm conjecturing here. Perhaps they knew they needed to move so quickly to it because when humans see their sin, their first impulse is to look inward their first impulse is to rely on some of their own spiritual activities to figure out how they're going to make it right with God and what they're going to do. Ezra and Nehemiah move them immediately to the saving power of God. For them and for us, this is a characteristic of all reformation. Reformation is not a, fundamentally a recommitment to live better or do different. It's not just a, a new set of promises, but it broken. People coming to a holy God and being overawed by his grace God's gracious power to save that is at the heart of every reformation in history and every reformation of the Bible it is God who is exalted God who is lifted up those saints in the Old Testament here lived under the promises and the shadows of a mediator who would come and save them. They had the sacrifices in the temple, the promise that God would provide a lamb, that their sin would be passed over. On the other side of the cross, we see clearly that God saves fully and finally in Jesus. At the heart of all reformation is the gospel, it's the cross, it's the good news of God saving us through Jesus Christ. Several Weeks pass, and on the 24th day, they gather again. Again, this is curious to me. It's the 24th day of the month. They assemble it. I don't know exactly why it would be that particular day, but the author lists it, notes it, gives us a timeline. Having read the law, having seen their sin, having rehearsed the saving power of God, now they come with diligent practice of confession. Again, we may have thought the order would be different. We may have placed this earlier, before the celebration. I I don't know all the reasons it happened this way. Uh, But again, I have my uh, theories. And one theory is confession takes time. True confession. Uh, Not not just a a quick emotional response, but a, a thoroughgoing analysis of our life. think it takes time it takes serious consideration and I think as we look at this passage again we don't know all the reasons I want to be a little bit careful but one of the lessons I draw from it is that what God values here is the intentionality of the confession more so than the immediate response in the immediate response of hearing God's law the people weep and Ezra and Nehemiah come in and say listen look at God's salvation come back on the 24th day they produce the leaders working for them a thoroughgoing analysis of the reality of their situation and how they need to stand differently before God. Again I'm not going to rehearse sermons of the past weeks but there are uh, two things that we really see happening on the 24th day. Uh, Looking ahead chapter 9 verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, same month The people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. We notice three things happening there. First is the separation uh, from, uh, it says here, foreigners. Later it says the people of the land. Uh, That phrase refers to people that uh, lived around them but were not part of the same religious community. Prior to the coming of Christ, God's people were both a, a, a group of people and a religion. The, the thing at, at play here, as you may remember, looking at it in past weeks, is that they needed to be committed to the historic practices of their faith. One of the ways Nehemiah particularly warned them to separate themselves from the, the people of the land uh, was not to intermarry and to be careful how they engaged in in. Uh, the, uh, the business practices, particularly on the Sabbath. This is fundamentally for us not a, a discussion of our ethnicity or nationality, but it's a discussion of religion, how we are committed, who we are committed to. And we hear and hear the warnings that the, uh, the culture around us always presents challenges for us. Reformation causes us to think carefully about those challenges, how we are separated spiritually unto God. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation who put their faith in Jesus are called to be separated spiritually to God through Jesus. We heard this uh, warning last week as we looked through the passage and saw that Nehemiah carefully drew out all of the points of the law that were particularly hard for them. He was careful to help them think about the ways their, their contemporary culture challenged them, where their engagement with the world around them needed to be reformed. As we looked at it last week, we are a people who continually need to be reformed this way. We're always in danger of compromise. If we're not intentional, we begin to think about who we are and how we live in ways that reflect the cultural around us and not the abiding word of God. We're going to engage faithfully with the world around us we need reformation but you notice the other thing that was really emphasized in these past weeks was not just their contemporary culture but their historic culture it says three things they separate they confess their sins and the iniquities of their fathers but the flow of the chapters really emphasized two of them it emphasized their need to separate from the religious ideas around them And it also presented a thoroughgoing confession of the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. I had to deal with their history. That that is a challenge for us as well, isn't it? We recognize not only are we we tempted and challenged to compromise in many areas of modern culture, but that we have a history behind us, a history in which our forefathers compromised in their day and age. Reformation deals not only with the present, but it deals with the past. Those of you who have been around our church for a number of years know that our denomination, our presbytery, our church has been wrestling with some of our history, particularly a history of racial sin, indifference, failure to love those who are different. We have committed ourselves to trying to make steps in a different direction. It's hard. It's hard things for us to talk about. Whether our concern is uh, wrestling with compromise in our modern culture or dealing with our history, both of these practices are at times threatening. Sometimes we can be so obsessed with one that we are not concerned with the other. I think Nehemiah helps us here. He shows us what we what we really need is not just to deal with oppressive sin in American history, nor just to be concerned about modern, Trends progressing towards disobedience. What we need is reformation. We need all that we have to be under God's Word. It's a challenging and threatening thing for us to do. And we move to the five fifth point, the fifth principle here. We're reminded that confession is not an end in itself, but a path to new living. Why were they doing this? Why were they separating from their culture? Why were they confessing the sins of their fathers? Because they needed to commit to walk in new obedience. The word the Bible uses for living in new obedience is holiness, God-likeness. The reason God gave them the law of Moses was so that they could see what it meant to live like was a hard process a demanding process one that we continually fall from our hearts draw us away from it and so we go back again and again through the practices of reformation we are renewed a fifth the fifth thing that we see in this passage is the principle of recommitment they commit to walk in fresh obedience they're going to live differently they're going to conform to god's pattern verse 38 chapter 10 uh, chapter 9 says because of all this we make a firm covenant in writing having separated themselves having confessed the sins of their father they committed to living differently and the summary of that is in chapter 10 verse 29 they commit to walk in God's law that was given to Moses the servant of God and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God the Lord uh, and his rules and his statutes they're committed to God's practice Well, here we must remember that we stand on the other side of the cross. What was seen beautifully but unclearly in the law of Moses is revealed most clearly, most excellently in Jesus. In the Gospel of of John, uh, John himself, who had spent great time with Jesus, said the, the law came from Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. In the author of Hebrews, great new testament epistle the author says in the in the old days we heard from the apostles and the prophets and we saw uh, pictures of what god was to do but in these last days he's spoken through his son in his letter to the corinthians his second letter chapter 4 the apostle paul says that our renewal our reformation now isn't oriented around jesus let me read this is found in your, uh, your sermon notes from 2 Corinthians 4 and chapter 3. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness as shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to the other. Paul takes these principles in reformation. He he grounds them in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus that shines in our heart. As we read God's word, we see how it points to our Savior. And as we behold the glory of Jesus, we are transformed to be more like him. Let me pull all of these pieces together here. Reformation means hearing God's word. It means seeing where we really are. But being assured of grace and salvation. It also means we deal honestly in confession of the temptations we have to compromise, whether in our current culture or we deal with the compromises of our ancestors. Those processes are hard. They can be threatening, sometimes frightening speak honestly about our history or to confront and, uh, uh, ways in which God calls us to be different than our neighbors. The conclusion of this picture is a glorious picture of transformation to be like Jesus. What is it that's going to motivate you in your Reformation, in our Reformation? Friends, there's one and only one thing powerful enough to call us away from our false Senses of security that is Jesus in this process of honest rigorous reading of the word and, and thoroughgoing repentance and confession we have the hope of being transformed to be like him to know him to know fresh grace fresh power of the God's spirit among us reformation is good it's the best thing we can have So let me think quickly how we can be reformed daily, weekly, and and generationally. The the saying I offered in the beginning is one that says uh, uh, the reformed church is always reforming according to the word of God. We continually reform. When, When you establish a practice of daily Bible reading, what is happening? You are being reformed. You may find yourself saying as you're reading the Bible, I'm not really into this today. I'm reading words of praise to God and my heart's not really into it that's my experience every day that's the point if if you were naturally praising God when you woke up in the morning and some days you are praise God but if you naturally did that you wouldn't need to be reformed that's not the human experience you drift And, and you fall into spiritual coldness and you settle for things less than God and so, as we come daily in the Word, we are reoriented and reformed by the Word. That our desires would be God's desires, that we would long to see Jesus. I can't read the Bible without needing to confess my sin. Friends, the biggest problem is me. Daily reformation reminds us that we need to be renewed, but we need together as a group weekly reformation trying to make this really practical I want you to think about what we're doing now we gather weekly in a worship service to be reformed that, that's what that's everything is aimed toward you heard naman talk about that earlier today and again you may walk into worship or maybe you wake up and say I'm not really feeling it today again that's the point we don't feel it all the time sometimes praise God we have seasons of spiritual richness and It's easy to sing and easy to worship and easy to obey, but often, more often than not, living in a fallen world with hearts still corrupted by sin, we see how desperately we need to be reformed and renewed. And so as we move through our worship service, we hear God calling us in the call uh, call to worship. We rehearse each week our sin, our need for grace, and God's gracious provision through Jesus. And we come together to sit under God's word and be shaped by it. It's my privilege to be able to preach to you many weeks, but the secret is no one is more formed by the word than I am. I say that not to brag, but if I spend the week thinking about it, it begins to shape me. And my great desire is that you would have that same experience. That you would come with a sense of expectation, desiring to hear from God, desiring to be shaped by God and reformed after the image of Jesus. That you would come to the reading of the word and and even the preaching of the sermon with this expectation that God will speak through his word using even a, a weak instrument like me. Would you join me in desiring this weekly renewal, recognizing that God meets us here? Third and finally, though, renewal is generational. We know this as we look at the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God's people again and again moving close to God and then drifting away, running away from Him. What's happening here in Nehemiah is a clear picture of something that happened again and again and again. The book of Judges, the book of Kings, Even the book of Nehemiah includes these cycles. There are six chapters of rebuilding the city, six chapters of rebuilding the people, and then a a 13th chapter where Nehemiah goes away, comes back 12 or 13 years later, and they have to do it all again. We continually need to be restored. The history of the church is one where each generation must come before God and say, what will form us They may, at times, merely adopt the practices of their forefathers, settling for a powerless religion or a dead orthodoxy, clinging to tradition above the word of God, or a particular generation may compromise with the spirit of the age, selling out on key biblical principles persuaded by the world around them and not by God's word. We see this again and again in history when the church in any culture or people, group, or country remains steadfast, you can trace in history a generational return, a recommitment to God, a renewal and a restoration, a determination to say we will be formed by God's word above all else. Will we do that? I was attracted by the book of Nehemiah because I'm convinced that we are now at a place in the history of our country and our, con- our culture where a really big decision stands before the church. We can be a, a people who see our greatest need to cling to the traditions of the past, many of which can be good. Many of them are corrupted by sin. We need reformation. Our history must stand under God's word. We also are at a time and a place where there is great temptation to compromise biblical truths about what it means to be human, how we live together in relationships marriage, sexuality human dignity these things are at stake we as a people must decide will we stand under God's word and be reformed or will we surrender to the spirit of the age we look across the Christian world and we see countries where once vibrant churches have been reduced to museums we look across the landscape of europe and we see some glimmers of hope as immigrants moving in adopt christian faith and restore some of the churches but by and large the once vibrant churches of northern europe are museums the people were not would not be a a nation of churches that gives in to either dead orthodoxy or cultural compromise but that we continually stand before God's word renewed, restored, reformed.